I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Hello, and welcome. You are listening to Once Upon a Gene, and I am your host, Effie Parks. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I really appreciate it. I have a few reminders, a couple favors, and some really awesome news to mention before we get into it. First is don't forget to register for Nord's Living Rare, Living Stronger event. It's streaming on July 18th and 19th. I'm going to be on the parent panel on Sunday the 19th talking about stress reduction and emotional well-being for the caregiver. You can register at Nord.com and I hope to see you there. You can even register and watch it later as well if you're not available on those days. Second, I would be so honored if you would head over to podcastawards.com and nominate Once Upon a Gene for a People's Choice Award. I'm listed in the society and culture category. And if you could also do me another favor, can you please tell at least one person this week about the podcast? Share it on your social, send them a text, tell someone when you're out and about in the real world if you can. I would really appreciate the support as the power of a personal referral and recommendation is like the highest of compliments. Next is something that makes me so giddy and excited. As many of you know, Disorder the Rare Disease Film Festival was supposed to be in May this year, but was canceled obviously due to COVID. These films are extremely important as it connects families and researchers across the world. And if there's anyone who can handle a sharp turn in plans, it's rare disease parents like our friends Bo Bigelow and Daniel DeFabio, the founders of Disorder, the Rare Disease Film Festival. Do you know what these guys did? Yesterday, July 8th, they launched the Disorder Channel. It's available for free on Roku and Amazon Fire. It's so awesome. Go download the channel immediately. This is such a fantastic way to spread awareness about these rare diseases. I'm halfway through binging these beautiful films, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to do it several times. Congratulations, guys. Okay, I'm done with all the housekeeping. Now to introduce my amazing guest for today. She is so incredibly motivated and smart. I found her in the rare disease community by discovering a book that she wrote called Rare Like Us. It's a memoir about her loving father who was dying from a rare disorder. It's an incredible story. It's heart-wrenching and real and captures the insurmountable obstacles families in the rare disease community face. You must read this family's story and the beginning of her advocacy journey that started when she was just a little girl. Please find her book at any of your local bookstores first if you can. Again, it's titled Rare Like Us. She then went on and founded Remember the Girls. It's an international nonprofit organization that unites, educates, and empowers female carriers of X-linked genetic disorders a group that's underrepresented and often overlooked by the medical profession. She's recently been nominated for an award in the category of Patient Leader Hero. You can endorse her nomination at wegohealth.com. Buckle up because this girl is never stopping. These incredible accomplishments aren't even half of it. 
Here's my conversation with the passionate and driven Taylor Kane. Hi, Taylor. Welcome. Hi, thank you. I'm so excited to have you here. So thanks for connecting with me and uh, getting this scheduled. I know you're a busy little lady. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate you having me as a guest. Well, and congratulations. You just graduated recently from George Washington University. I did. Yeah. That's incredible. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so I just finished your book like this morning, Taylor. You wrote a beautiful memoir autobiography called Rare Like Us, and it took me to so many places and it was so beautifully written. So thank you for putting it out into the world. And I also want to say I'm so sorry that you lost your father, especially so young. But man, that that book was incredible and it it touched me and I can't wait for everyone who is listening to this podcast for them to go and find it. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it and that you found it moving. When did you feel like you wanted to write Rare Like Us? I think I always had in the back of my mind, even in high school, like I think I'll eventually write a book about my story. And then I finally did start writing it my freshman year of college. I wrote it very, very slowly. I also had to do a lot of research and had a lot of conversations with my mom and go through a lot of documents um, for when my dad was sick to really be able to capture the time that he was sick because I was three years old when he was diagnosed and he passed away when I was five. So, you know, I didn't have a clear, perfect memory of everything that happened during that time. So yeah, I had to do a lot of digging and kind of discover what exactly happened and all the details. I mean, I knew just from my mom's stories and obviously I remember seeing my dad being sick and I remember when he passed away, but you know, I didn't really know all the details and I didn't know all the ways that my mom also suffered throughout that time when my dad was sick. So yeah, it took about three and a half years to write, start to finish. The writing, the editing, cover design. Yeah, it took about three and a half years until it was finally published in August of 2019. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible. And you should be so proud. I mean, as I was also reading it, I was just kind of laughing because I was like, Taylor is like every parent's dream child. <laughs> I mean, every every day she's waking up and she's like, no, mom, seriously, how can I make the world a better place? Like right now, what am I going to do today before I go to bed? It's, it's just, it's wild. I mean, I could go on for three episodes with you to like kind of adequately graze the surface of your story and your advocacy work. It's, you've just been moving. You're like a little busy bee and you've been doing it since you were four. I think, <laughs> yeah. I think your first thing that you said in front of people, you were four. Yeah, yeah. I was I was in kindergarten, I remember, for my first speaking event. I don't remember it too well. I don't even remember exactly what I talked about. I think I just probably said what happened to my dad. But yeah, I, I guess it just always felt natural to me to to want to just do something. And I always knew that my dad would have been the same if the roles were reversed. Like he was definitely always a doer. He always wanted to comfort people. As I mentioned in my book, my dad would, for example, like he would see funerals coming up in like the newspaper and he would, if they were open to the public, he would go to them and like comfort the family there because he was just such a natural carer for other people. And he always just wanted to help. So, I mean, I think even though I had only been with him for five years before he passed away, my mom always tells me that she she knows that my dad instilled that in me. I mean, that's some cell memory that's just passed on for <laughs> sure. So can you tell us about your uh, dad's diagnosis? So basically, my dad just started having small behavioral changes. He was very, very neat. 
He was very talkative, very outgoing, never missed a beat kind of person. And my mom said that she just started noticing little things that were different, like his desk was getting messy, they were arguing more, he was becoming more forgetful. So they actually decided to go to marriage counseling because, you know, they didn't think at first like, oh, this is an organic problem or a disease, of course. Like, you know, they thought maybe he might just be depressed or have anxiety. So they went to marriage counseling and the marriage counselor suggested that he get an MRI of his brain just because these random behavioral changes. I'm surprised, like looking back, you wouldn't think that a counselor off the bat would just like know to suggest like getting an MRI, but I'm so glad because I have no idea when he would have found out otherwise, you know, because since ALD, of course, is a rare disease, a lot of people with rare diseases experience a very long diagnostic odyssey and trying to get a diagnosis. So yeah, he got an MRI and it pretty much was just within a few days, he knew that he had ALD and that there was no treatment or cure and that he only had a few years left. So it was all definitely very sudden, super out of nowhere. Um, he definitely, when we look back, he definitely did have some of the physical symptoms of the disease throughout his life, um, such as walking difficulties. But everyone just kind of like made fun of him for being clumsy. You know, like no one ever thought that, you know, he could have this, this rare disease. The ALD does come on either early or late onset. So of course my dad got the late onset version, but he definitely did experience symptoms for like throughout his entire life. And symptoms, yeah, that were just so subtle that nobody would have considered them, especially since he's this successful, empathetic, like awesome dad. Yeah, yeah, no, like, I don't think anyone ever thought twice about it. And I don't even know if he really realized once he was having these like behavioral personality changes. You know, I think it was more my mom who was like, you're so different. Because I guess he, my dad like, was such a certain way all the time which I can imagine that in itself being really stressful, but. Well, he's yeah. an, he was an attorney, so I can definitely see that being part yeah. of it. <laughs> yeah. I love how honest you were in the book, you and your mom, her talking about the experience of getting that diagnosis and what rapidly started to change at home for your family and just all of the stuff that's kind of behind the curtain, right? In a rare disease family and like what is going on at home from the day to day, like the caregiving, the shaving, all the steps that it takes to wake up and go to sleep behind like online campaigns and, you know, fundraisers and how everyone maybe thinks families are so strong and they're doing all this stuff and they're staying above water, but not really knowing what's really going on in their day to day life. I feel like you sharing that was, I mean, it was intense. And I think so many, I think every family who is touched by rare disease and reading your book is going to feel so much connection to that. Yeah, thank you. I, I am glad that I, you know, included a lot of detail. There was definitely some things that I did choose to leave out. But I think for the most part, I think I believe that my dad would not want me to paint this fake picture of what things were actually like. You know, I think I think that can definitely happen with any type of adversity. You know, you see the problem and then you see, you know, how someone triumphed and came out of it and they learned all these lessons from it, which, you know, definitely I think can apply to my life in a sense, but also I think like the real devastation of, you know, someone having a rare disease, someone passing away, and also there's the trauma that everyone in the family experiences. Like, I think that can definitely be overshadowed. And even on top of, you know, all the things day to day that my mom had to deal with, she also constantly dealt with judgment from people, you know, telling her that 
the things that sh she was doing were, were wrong. People said that she should put my dad like in a home um, rather than having him on hospice in her house because uh, they said it would be too disturbing for my brother and I to see our dad. I'm so glad that my mom stood her ground and chose to have my dad in the house because I'm, I'm so glad I was able to actually spend time with my dad before he passed away. Like most of the memories I have of him are when he's sick, but that doesn't take away from the fact that he's my dad, you know, like, but yeah, she had to face constant judgment and she's the strongest person I know. I have no idea how she was able to get through that. <laughs> she was also an attorney, had two little kids. She had only been married to my dad at that point for about four and a half years. So yeah, she really just got thrown just a major thing in her life that she could have never expected. Yeah, your mom is definitely a superwoman. She's yeah, incredible. Yeah, she her is. story, her story the whole time was just getting me to. I mean, so incredible. I mean, you and your mom and your brother, I mean, how you came together as a family and decided to, I don't know if you would say decided to manage the situation, but you were in it. You sat in it. And I love that she let him stay home with you. And I love the photos that you shared with you guys climbing up on his bed and, <laughs> you know, just being with your dad. I can imagine it would have actually been more terrifying if you had to get in the car and go to some weird hospital and walk in the room and remember that smell and see your dad like hooked up to things somewhere strange. Yeah, it would have been a totally different experience. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm so glad for the way that that it was. And we also had great home healthcare workers who really did become part of our family. And especially because my mom was, you know, still part working part time during this, you know, to help keep like our family afloat. And also just as an outlet to, you know, still have something of her own to be able to focus on. She's definitely always been the kind of person to do a lot of things at once. But you know, for her sometimes being at work and pretty much the home healthcare workers just kind of became we also had like nannies and babysitters too. But it was kind of just all one big family, um, <laughs> which is nice. Yeah, I think that they definitely helped me through a lot. I also had a grief counselor through the hospice program, which is amazing. I mean, I think that childhood grief in general is extremely poorly understood. I think people don't know how to talk about it. I, I get comments all the time. And I know they're coming from a good place. But people will say things to me. And they're like, Oh, you know, it's kind of a good thing if you think about it that you were so young, like when your dad died, because it would have been way worse if you were older. You know, I get things like that all the time. And I, I understand where people are coming from, but I don't think there's any good or better time to lose someone. You know, grief as a child, like, I feel like I'm constantly still day to day, well, especially because of the work that I do. Like, I'm constantly reminded of my dad's absence, you know, even graduating from college. Like, everything that happens in my life, it just reminds me more and more that, like, my dad is not here and that he's been gone for for so long, like, and that he's really, he's missing every, everything in my life. And so I think that I definitely want to bring more light on, on childhood grief. That's like an issue I'm so passionate about. And because even looking back, yeah, and the things that I had people say to me over the years, it's not that people want to, I think it's more just, it's a taboo but people don't know what to say. They don't know what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. And I think that's just because we never talk about it because death and grief, it's just such a subject that's never discussed. But I think it definitely should be because it would benefit, you know, not only the people who are grieving, but also everyone else with with knowing what to say and how to comfort someone and, and how to be appropriate in those situations.
Amen. I think you have your next book idea. I'd love to read that one. <laughs> and yeah, it is so important. And I do feel like things are moving in in that direction where people are kind of educating themselves a little more on how to maybe communicate with family members who've lost someone or even just, you know, being a child and going through the stages of grief yourself. I think that there is a little more focus now to pay attention to the family as a whole. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that social media is is a great tool just social media and the internet mm -hmm. is a great tool for for being able to to help with that i mean it's it's also crazy like my mom always says like what she would have done to be able to log onto facebook and to join a facebook group for <laughs> women who have gone through what she went through but facebook didn't like exist then so yeah. she she knew like she was connected with some other um ald women like who had either had sons or husbands with the disease, um, but she would just like talk to them on the phone or email them. It's it's a totally different world. Like now, you know, I'm part of so many groups for being a carrier of, of ALD. I'm part of so many groups. I run multiple groups. I'm in groups for young adult advocacy. I'm in groups for, you know, so many different things. And I can't imagine not having that. Like I, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> Me either. Yeah. I think about those parents just from my perspective who are raising a child with a rare disease who has a 20 year old or 20 plus year old and like, how, how did you do that without yeah. going to a Facebook group and like asking a million questions online? Yeah, like, basically, my mom said, she just they learned about the disease, like she looked it up, you know, there wasn't a ton about it then and it basically just said like no treatment no cure like you know and she just had to look at that and accept that my dad was going to die we also found out at the same time that i was a carrier of the disease so you know of course that was also something on on her mind thinking about how that was going to affect my future but she didn't have that instant like let me go to facebook and find other people and you know, try to get some hope out of this situation there just was nothing like that there was like organizations you know of course that that always have existed before social media but yeah it was more of like the grassroots I guess connection like literally just emailing people and calling them like on your house phone <laughs> which is almost like funny to me because like have you, you ever even, even have seen a house, a house phone, phone Taylor <laughs> yeah we we actually had one until like three years ago <laughs> <laughs> oh wow dang yeah, yeah we've had one we definitely had one way longer than like most of my friends I would say we never used it but I wish I still had one <laughs> well, yeah. So back to all of that. I mean, your dad passing away, you're five years old, and your family had started doing these 5k runs and fundraising for this rare disease, and just kind of still moving forward with raising awareness and trying to find a cure or early screening, which is something you also played a really pivotal part in getting on the ballot in New Jersey, right? Yeah, so uh, the my family's fundraiser, yeah, my mom and dad started that together pretty much right after my dad got diagnosed. Of course, he had to leave his job uh so my mom thought you know it would also be a good just a good thing for my dad to do to spend his time and I think even to like now that the first year of the event we still do it now now we have a bowling event um and my stepdad is a big part in helping with that but I'm pretty sure the first year was the most successful just because like every my dad had so many friends he had so many people that loved him and so like so many he just called all these people and were like hey can you donate or can you come and like everyone just said yes because they just loved my dad so much so <laughs> 
Well, it's incredible. And so it takes you through high school. You're joining all of these clubs. You're creating clubs. You're creating advocacy groups. You're speaking in front of people already when you're so young. Just always having this passion to, you know, raise awareness. And you got the diagnosis yourself that you're a carrier. So can you explain what that means exactly? Yeah, of course. ALD is an X-linked recessive disease. So this means um, it's carried on the X chromosome. So since my dad had it, I am 100% an obligate carrier of the disease because men give their only X chromosome to all their daughters. And so I have a 50% chance of passing the disease down to any kids that I have in the future, females who would also be carriers or men or boys who would get the disease. There's also a very, very high chance that I will eventually develop some physical symptoms of ALD over about like 90% of carriers um, eventually do develop symptoms. Actually, a lot of women in the community don't would never refer to themselves as carriers because, you know, carrier by definition implies being asymptomatically affected. So that's a stigma that we, we face. Um, as of right now, I don't really think I have symptoms related, but the they do increase. Um, the chances of developing them increase as you get older. The most common ones are walking difficulties, uh, neuropathy, bladder and bowel dysfunction. It's kind of across the board, and there's also not a lot of research on our symptoms just because there was like an assumption back in the day that since women had two X chromosomes, they figured that their healthy one would make up for the deficiencies on the one that has the mutation. However, today we know that that's not true. Um, the same goes for all X-linked diseases. Women were kind of just brushed under the rug and just assumed to be asymptomatic when, of course, women had experienced symptoms as long as the disease existed. But really, it's just it's just now that we're getting more into this carrier and, and female with an excellent condition related advocacy. And of course, uh, this would be the next step in what you're bringing up. But in 2017, I did for my own nonprofit organization, Remember the Girls, which is dedicated to carriers of X-linked disorders. I thought it was a great idea to create a group, the first of its kind, um, and the only group that, that has ever brought carriers of different diseases together. Because I realized that, you know, we face so many of the same issues, like our, our symptoms being poorly understood, the difficulties that comes with, with having kids and alternative reproduction, um, if that's a route that that's a carrier wants to take. So it just kind of clicked in my mind, like, yeah, we need a group that has power in numbers that covers all these excellent diseases. And so, yeah, I just, I've been running that for about three and a half years now to do a lot of carrier related advocacy and, and definitely has a female empowerment side of things too, especially even in the name. So yeah, yeah that's I was going to mention, day to day. I love the name. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so it's collecting women. You said it's collecting women from all rare diseases and disorders. It's not just for women who are carriers of ALD. No. So it is for all women that are carriers of rare X-linked disorders. Some other X-linked diseases are Duchenne muscular dystrophy, uh, hemophilia A and B. Yeah, those are like two other examples. But we have about, I would approximate 30 or so X-linked diseases represented in our group. Some are uh, a lot less rare than others. But yeah, we do have so many different X-linked diseases represented. And we have members from literally every continent in the world. So that's incredible. Um, yeah. So I know, obviously, a big part of uh, the organization is creating that community and gathering all these women and, you know, having strength in numbers to be like, hey, we're here and we're not just asymptomatic carriers. But what are some other goals that you have for the organization? 
Yeah. So I think that breaking the carrier stigma itself, I think that is like our overarching mission is just, you know, so many of us have been told like, oh, you're just a carrier. Like you don't really have anything to worry about. And that's just so frustrating because, you know, I could look at a conference to the right and the left of me and see carriers that are in wheelchairs. Like that's, that's definitely something you know, that's, that's not something that can be just brushed off. Right now, our, our two main projects that we're working on developing, the first is a provider network. We are just getting it off the ground, but a searchable database of carrier-friendly doctors, clinicians, uh, mental health professionals that are recommended by the women in our group themselves. Females, yeah, with excellent conditions have a lot of difficulty when it goes to doctor appointments. I've heard literal horror stories like the doctors looking up the disease and, and seeing you know, that online, some sources still say like women with X-linked disease, like you don't get the disease. And then that woman obviously knowing that her symptoms are, are related, but a doctor just being like, no, it says online that that's not possible. Because unfortunately, there still is a lot of misinformation out there online. It actually even says on one of the NIH webpages that women with X-linked recessive diseases, which ALD is an X-linked recessive disease, that they can't get symptoms. Like it literally still says that despite the fact that there have been studies that have shown that about 90% of carriers do get symptoms. So it's just, it honestly sends chills down my spine when I see anything online that still says that when it's so clear and we have the evidence to prove otherwise. But I think things like that just, just take a while to, to get updated and get, you know, all spread throughout, throughout the system and throughout the medical community. Have you written one of your special Taylor letters to the NIH about that little blurb on the website? No, I haven't, but I'm plan I'm I'm planning on it, like specifically <laughs> about that page because I'm like, you know, if any place should have it right, it should be the NIH website. Yeah. Um, and all of your letters have worked so far, so I think you have a magical power. Yeah, I definitely am going to do that or send an email, like just try however I can to just get them to change that. Even maybe I'm thinking of utilizing my my medical um, advisory board for Remember the Girls mm, to possibly help with that as well. But yeah, um, and then our other main project um, that we're working on currently is develop developing a family planning toolkit. There are a lot of options for carriers to be able to have a family and have a child without the disease. I've known for as long as I can remember that if I do have kids that I'll, I will do IVF with PGT, which is pre-implantation genetic testing. That's what I would do, but, but there are a lot of options and we want to just, you know, have this network of information and also videos from our genetic counselors who are on our medical advisory board, you know, helping explain these and testimonials from women who have gone through them because there definitely is no right option. You know, some carriers, you know, they, would prefer to go the natural route. Some don't want to have kids at all. Some might want to do adoption. And then other carriers, you know, might want to do IVF, but that's also incredibly expensive. So it's unfortunate that money and finances is a big factor, but I'm really excited for the development of this. And there are good resources online already for, you know, finding out about these things, but I really want one that's geared towards the X-linked perspective and also, you know, is built by us. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so important, especially to group them together for the X-linked ones. I mean, when a doctor is sitting there in front of you telling you that you don't know what you're talking about because they read an old paper. Yeah. It, it, it's kind of like, uh, uh. <laughs> Yeah, I've literally heard such bad stories. Like, it's it's terrible. And I mean, I think that is something that happens to women a lot. Yeah. That's something that happens in the rare disease community a lot. But 
I feel like as, as carriers, you know, we're already in this rare community and now we're like an even rarer subset. And especially because we are females and, you know, of course there's been a long history of, of female symptoms being brushed off or being attributed to anxiety and, and things like that. So I think we have a lot of things working against us, but remember the girls and our group, I mean, we have over 600 members and my board of directors. Um, we have a lot of, you know, carriers wanting to write blog posts and just help in any way they can with like fighting off all these challenges that we have. So, I mean, I'm empowered every single day being able to run the group and, and just seeing how it's grown from literally me to now over 600 people. It's, it's just amazing. Yeah, it really is. So what about the symptoms? Is that something that causes you a lot of stress and anxiety, like on a regular basis of thinking like, oh, I tripped? Did I trip on a rock? Or is something wrong with me? Is something happening to me? Or does that just not really like kind of stick in your head so much? Yeah, this is a great question. And it's something that I feel like changes for me, like week to week. Mm. I've definitely spoken with other like rare disease advocates who feel similarly, but I feel like sometimes in a way, I feel separated from the disease. Like I feel like since I spend all day talking about it, it almost feels like this isn't what's actually going to happen to me. Like it just it almost feels it's just like separate some days. And then other days, you know, I'll, I'll see women posting um, that will post in their member of the girls group and talk about, you know, their, their symptoms and say like, I think these started when I was in my twenties and I'm like, well, I'm in my twenties. Like, and, and something too, that's hard is like a lot of the symptoms, for example, the bladder and bowel dysfunction, like, you know, that's something I just don't want to, I obviously like, you know, that just seems very unfortunate. Like that's terrible to have, those kind of symptoms, especially, you know, as a woman and, and embarrassment that can come. Um, but day to day, I wouldn't say that I am very scared. Um, I mean, I feel like I have such a strong community behind me. I feel like I also have a lot of faith in the doctors who are doing something right now that when I'm older, that I will have more options and, you know, potential treatments for, for symptoms that unfortunately the women in my community don't have at the moment. It's also hard because like you said, I feel like your mind can kind of play tricks on you in a way. Like I, I've always had really tight hips and I have restless leg syndrome and a lot of carriers also have these, but I'm like a lot of people also have these. So there's no way for me to know if it's related. I mean, luckily, like I don't have anything that affects my quality of life, but I am worried as I get older, thinking too much into it, or even maybe not thinking enough. You know, I think it's, it's on both ends of the spectrum. Like I think, it can be bad if you were just like, oh, you know, yeah, I'm not having these symptoms, but they're just ALD. And what if it's actually something else? Or like, you know, if, if you like, yeah, if you trip once and then you feel like the world is crashing down and like you're starting to spiral and get all these symptoms, you know, I, I think it can definitely be stressful for diseases that are under-researched as well. You know, this is definitely something that applies to a lot of diseases um, or, you know, conditions like Huntington's disease where, you know, you're pre-symptomatic and just like not knowing when it's going to come on. And, you know, it's, it's definitely stressful, but for me, I, I don't worry about it too much yet. It's like being on a tightrope a little bit. <laughs> yeah. 
but also good that everyone can kind of share random symptoms that can just kind of be compiled and everyone can kind of take some or leave some or, you know, even just hearing from someone who's feeling some certain way and you can private message them and talk about it a little more. That, that's huge. Yeah. When you're getting so upset about tripping over your flip flop that day. Yeah, definitely. So what are you most proud of so far with Remember the Girls? As an organization, I, th I think the biggest like accomplishment thus far is just like the organization itself, because it's the only one that that exists in the entire world. And, you know, with having over 600 members and having a strong board of directors, a medical advisory board with three doctors and three genetic counselors, like I think that the organization is is strong. And I think, you know, even though it is still new and obviously I was running it majority when I was in college, um, you know, now that I'm done, I'm able to commit a lot more time to it and and get some more projects in motion. But I would probably say just like the the organization itself has has raised so much awareness. Um, and I hear all the time that people like, you know, they know what Remember the Girls is. People like I haven't even met and they're like, I love what this organization's about. It's going to do a lot of great things. So yeah, I feel like the word of mouth aspect and just the, the organization itself, I would say is the biggest accomplishment thus far. But I, I think personally, like as a leader of the organization and just an advocate in, in the carrier community and space, I think what I look at is my biggest accomplishment is, is every time I get a message that says something along the lines of like, I felt so alone until I found this group. And that just is like, that's, that's just like a changes everything. Like, I feel like when I get those, like the world stops for a second. I'm like, yes. you know, it's just a crazy feeling to be like, <laughs> I actually created something that people like people are so glad to have found and that they found this community. Like, yeah, that in itself, like that is every time I ever get a message, like that's, I consider like my, my biggest accomplishment. I mean, in, in my entire life, honestly. I love that. What can people do to help your cause? What can people like me do? Definitely supporting um, Remember the Girls on social media. We are very active online, especially because our community is international. So we have our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Also, you know, you can check out our website, um, sharing like Carrier's blog posts, or even just reading them and educating yourself um, on the topic. Um, people can also make donations to Remember the Girls to continue to support our, our projects and help our organization grow, which is, you know, what you can do through the website, through the PayPal Giving Fund. I think we really harness the power of social media a lot. And I think that is how most of the word about the organization has been spread. Also, I mean, I've, you know, we have our 600 members in our Facebook group. Like that is literally all because of, of connection on social media and people spreading the word and sharing the group with carriers they know and, and things of that nature. So those are, that's what I would say, how someone can support our organization. Mm, okay, cool. Well, you're an incredible woman and I look so forward to watching you and seeing where everything goes. And I just think you're doing the most amazing thing. And your you so family much. has got to be so incredibly proud of you. And I just think the legacy that everyone has kind of continued. And it's just, it's really amazing, Taylor. And I can't believe you're so young. Am I old enough to call you a whippersnapper? <laughs> I don't know. You're amazing. And you're doing the coolest things. And I love that you created a space out of the ashes, out of the, you know, out of your dad fundraising efforts and made your own thing out of it that you became passionate about that also affected you and other women. And I just think it's so cool. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's that's so nice. And definitely gonna just keep keep going for 
I mean, <laughs> the rest of time. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you are. Like, I don't even think you sleep. I'm not sure if you do. <laughs> oh, cause... no, I, I sleep a lot, actually. Like, I, <laughs> I'm not an early riser. I wish I was, but... I'm like sitting there drinking my coffee and I'm like, I bet Taylor's already done 40 things today. Oh my God. No, I promise you. I'm actually not like that at all. I, I definitely am a night out. Like I will stay up late doing work and then wake up late. Like, that's, <laughs> Especially now in like quarantine, I'm in New Jersey, so nothing's really opened yet. So I'm still inside, like not leaving. Yeah, the sleep schedule hasn't been the best, but uh, well, it's it's crazy. Is there anything else that you want to share with us before we close? I think the only thing I would say is that if any of the listeners are interested in reading Rare Like Us, it's available on Amazon. Mm, yes, we'll definitely have your awesome book linked there. I love it so much. Thank you for writing it. And thanks for sitting down and chatting with me today. Yeah, of course. It was so much fun. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this show with your people and please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate y'all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you. Ha <laughs> <laughs>